Lucky you. 36 best holes in golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Sandy. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Well, Billy, we are so, so blessed today. We are with two Wingfoot legends. I can't think of any two brothers uh, at Wingfoot that have done more, and maybe Wingfoot's done more for them. We're going to find out. Uh, But we're with none other than John. Uh, on my left, rather John Hoffman in the blue, uh, keeping him warm sweater because it's a little chilly. And then Paul Hoffman, uh, I guess that's a gray sweater you got there, Paul. Boy, I've uh, I, I've been looking forward to this day. We've been catching up over the last few years every now and then. It's so great to have you both here with Billy Regan and me. Great to be here. Great to be here for sure. Looking forward to it. So, John, you started this. Tell us how you got to Wingfoot. What was the journey that got you there? Did you, your mother just drop you off and said, find work? What was it? My cousin, Bruce, who just passed away, uh, caddied there. He's uh, six months younger than me. So he went up there when he was probably 12 or 13. He lived in Largemont. And um, he was there. And we were moving from Mount Vernon to Harrison. And um, so he said, you got to come to Wingfoot. You got to come with, with me. So I turned in my paper route, and when I did, gave, gave them all I had. I had about three routes or something. The guy, when I told him what I was going to do, he wanted me to get a route in Harrison. And I said, no, I'm going to caddy at Wingfoot. Tell us about how you found your way to Wingfoot. Well, uh, the more you know about me, the more you'll realize that I followed my brother around. He was kind of my lead man. When I was 12 years old, I went up there, and I started caddying, you know, doing singles. and. Uh, I didn't quite much love the caddying part of it as John did. You know, John would do two loops a day, 60 days in a row. Um, But I was lucky in that I ended up going to work for Mo in the pro shop when I was about 14, I'd say. And then when I got my license, I was lucky enough to uh, park cars with Danny and Willie. And John had done each of those things as well. And um, the real money was in parking cars. And yeah, you could caddy and you could be out there for hours making uh, money and contacts. But um, that was the part that I really liked. So 62. Was was the real money in the glove compartment of the cars or in the tips? (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) There were some shady characters. We had to lock those cars. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Did you ever have any cars stolen under your watch? (laughs) There's a. We always had to be careful of the doctor's cars. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> what was a good tip back in those days? Did you get dollars, five dollars? Did anybody tip you that kind of money back then? A buck was common. Uh, change was sometimes common. Uh, we had those really good guys. There was a guy named Mr. Robbins who used to give us five bucks on the way in. So he basically had a prime spot on the road for most of the day. Uh, Sidney Thompson was another big one. Herbie Allen was another big tipper. Um, but, you know, there were five bucks was a good tip. One buck was a norm, I would say. I'll give you a story that uh, <laughs> my uncle uh, worked for a guy by the name of Bob. What was his name, Paul? Bob Hamlin. Hamlin. And he was a member. And uh, he was a little guy. And he had a bit of a Napoleon complex, I think. But anyway, he, he acted like he was a big guy. And he would come out in the middle of a rush on Saturday afternoon and say, hey, Johnny, Johnny, 
I know that guy. His uncle works for me. Hey, Johnny, get me my car. And I'd bring it up and he'd have $5 in his hand that he was waving around while he was asking me to go. And he would come and he, he was going to Connecticut. So we kept the car facing up towards uh, the, the new flagpole. And I'd let him in. And as he'd get in, he put the $5 in his pocket and he'd hand me two quarters. <laughs> so he did it once. He did it a second time. The third time, and he'd do it because he was bragging to all these members how he knew this guy and whatever. Third time, I dropped the quarters onto the blacktop and got down on my hands and knees and said, I'll get him. I'm sorry. I dropped that. I'm and he was so mortified, <laughs> he almost ran me over as he took his, his long I thought you were going to say you put the quarters in his shirt pocket and then grabbed the $5 bill and said, see you later to Connecticut. I, I probably should have. Yeah. Anyway, that that's the kind of stuff that would go on out there. Now, what about the celebrities? You know, celebrities in my day rolled up there. You recall any big name celebrities that, uh, you know, I know Bill Fugazi used to bring up Bob Hope. I'm sure that happened in your time. Uh, do you yes. remember Bing Crosby? No, I don't remember Bing. Vince Lombardi, I caddied in, uh, for Vince Lombardi one time. Uh, he was up there. What kind uh, of a golfer was he? That, I'd be very curious to know about that. <laughs> he was a he was he, he was, was not bad. Coach. He probably shot you know high eighties, low nineties, but he wasn't. He never spent much time at it, as you can imagine. It wasn't Wellington Mara because Wellington he coached for Wellington Mara, right? You know, on the Giants. But uh, I can't remember who it was. I remember uh, one time going to Mike Minucci's house to bellhop for a party he was throwing for. Harlan Sfare and Lombardi was there. Jim Lee Howell was there. Uh, Davey Marr was there. It was amazing. And it was uh, right after I graduated from college. And he asked me to just make sure all the cars got parked. It was over where Gifford also lived at that it's just time. Just down there out of the uh, Fenimore Road and to On the right. Fenimore Road. What a, what a night that was. And he, a after I parked about three cars and just directed everybody in, uh, he told me, come on in, spend the time in the party with us. And uh, I was like a kid in the candy store at that party. I didn't drink anything, but I wanted to meet all these uh, great sports figures. You weren't at Minucci's. You were at Toot Shores, right? That's right. We're 21. Right, Can I give a, I want to give a Vince Lombardi story because I think it's really appropriate. So this time when he came up to play, he asked if we could get his suit pressed because he had an engagement that night. And we used to get our uh, uh, shirts and slacks that we worked in at Wingfoot done down at the cleaners down on Mamaronic Avenue. And so I drove down there with his suit and I walked in and I said, Hey, can I get this suit pressed? Because he has an engagement tonight. And the guy said, I'm sorry, Paul, but you know, we're all shut down. We can't do it. I said, Oh shoot. It's for Vince Lombardi. And he really <laughs> wanted to look nice. And he goes, this is for Vince Lombardi. <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. We're opening up the presses for him. Come back in 15 minutes. We'll have it done for you. So that's the power of it, party. Like in those days, you were more than just a guy that went back and forth to the lower, the upper parking lot. I remember guys would give you 20 bucks and you'd take it down the hill to get a car wash and any other uh, kind of interesting stories other than just well, joyriding. I got one for you. I, I did drive Ruin Arledge's Corvette down there a few times to get washed, but um Another practice that we had is if it was really, really busy, we had to get those cars off the road. So we might have four guys parking cars on a busy, busy tournament day. And so we would use one car as kind of the shuttle. 
and three three guys would take cars down, park them, get in the shuttle, come back, get three more, take the car back. And there was a guy named Victor Robertus one time, and he saw oh, us. Vic. He saw us shuttling his car around. <laughs> he was a great guy. I really liked Vic Bell. But um, he saw us shuttling his car around, and we got off that 10th green on the East Course. He came over to us and says, if I ever see you guys shuttling my car, I don't want you driving my car around as a taxi here any longer. <laughs> that. And there were these evergreens between the back of 17 West Green and 11 East Green. And I missed, I remember missing a six footer and I said, shit, loud enough, you know, to hear 20 yards further. Well, the next day I'm catting, that was a Friday, Saturday, and Victor Robertus comes out of the locker room onto the East course. They only played the East course right by you probably. And he said, Oh, Bobby, you are in big trouble. You, the board's talking about you. Da, da, da. I'm like, what did I do? I had no idea what I did. And he heard from his wife who could have cared less about that four letter word. And she told him and he figured he was going to put me away. So what about the opens? You had the 72 open. That was the ladies open, the 74 open. Didn't have any real opens in the sixties. Did we? I got there two years after the 59 open, uh, heard the stories about Billy O'Hara caddying for Jack Nicholas as an amateur. Uh, and then from all the time I caddied until uh, I went in the service, there were no tournaments. And then uh, I was in the service from 69 to 73. I got out and the, uh, there was a tournament in 74. I had a friend in the service with me who came and stayed with my mother so he could caddy in that tournament. He caddied the Steve Melnick, but wow. I was working for SBC at the time. So I, I couldn't take the time off to caddy, but I, I uh, died a thousand deaths wishing I could have. Well, yeah. The, the story there is Peter McGarry who grew up in the manor in Larchmont went, his yes. family moved to Denver and he wrote Gene uh, Hayden a note the summer before, could I come up and caddy? And he came up, we did a video with, with Peter probably eight years ago in the lower locker room before one of our big events and he came and out of that, you know how it worked, right? There was a fishbowl in the lower locker room. They picked a number out. Did you guys play Wingfoot a lot? Uh, I'd play it maybe eight times a summer, six times a summer, because I would work on Mondays if there was some action. Uh, I don't know, Paul, I don't know how much you played it in those days. When you were caddy, you didn't play much. But I loved well, I the game. And uh, But, you know, played it enough. A caddy did enough where I knew every blade of grass on there, knew the greens very well, but never played it enough. 2009, we got put into the Carmara yep. uh, tournament, and I was at Bel Air at the time, and uh, Jim Nance is the one who went to the uh, Maras and said, if you're looking for one more club, you want to get Bel Air. So we got put in, and we went there, and uh, Wingfoot was winning by about 16 points after the first day. It was a, a Stableford type deal. And we came back on the next day and won it. That was my chance to finally play in a tournament at Wingfoot. We actually won the Carmara that day. And they uh, handed me the mic when they gave the uh, award out and asked me to say something about Wingfoot. And I probably went a half hour to an hour too long talking about <laughs> the, road, the road from the Daily Argus to uh, to Wingfoot and the great things that it had done for me in my life. You're not I'm many sure all the losers were glad right. to hear all about it too, right? What's that? Yeah. I'm I'm sure all the guys you you beat were just lapping it up. Well, the Irish, still going on. The Irish were happy. They put a tray of something out there that we were all going to share. 
And it's the only night in my life that I've ever been said could say I was drunk because I, I started sipping those things. We were staying at Harlan Beatrice's house on the course, so I didn't have to drive anywhere. But the next morning, I had a 6.30 flight, and I think I was still affected uh, as I uh, drove to LaGuardia. So I'll tell you a story about you asked about playing. I didn't play much at all. I worked there six days a week. So day off, I went to the beach over at Rye Beach or Westchester Country Club Beach or something. But um, when we did play, I remember my cousin Greg and I, he caddied there as well. He was from Larchmont, Greg McGrath, uh, Bruce's brother. And years later, we would talk about the days when you caddied for Tommy Armour. It was a great loop because it was nine holes. It was on a cart. Clearly, you know, he would hit it straight and, you know, probably shoot par in those days. And uh, at the end of the round, he would give you the three balls he played with plus his glove. Now his glove would go up to your sleeve because we had big, he had big hands and we were little kids. But we used to play with those balls, you know, when we would play and we'd lose them. And we talked about it years later and said, do you know how valuable those golf balls yeah. would be today if we had kept those things? Oh, that's just incredible. The uh, they, they I I thought you were going to say you were like caddying for Tommy Armour because it was nine holes and then he brought you into the grill room for an hour and a half of you know what Suprescas. What was your relationship with the guys there? You had Claude, you had Mickey Zucca, you had Mo Delaporta. Those three are in the Hall of Fame of people that are around Wingfoot, right? We're like family. I mean, we really were. Dick Harmon was in John's wedding. Um, I mentioned wow. to you that I for Dick and Craig, and when they won the uh, the Anderson. Uh, John's won the Anderson and club championship, I'm sure, uh, on multiple occasions. I remember one story of his with Dick Gelb, the guy who, uh, what was it, Revlon that he was CEO of? Or? He was Claire, Claire, uh, Bristol Myers. He was the CEO oh, of Bristol Myers for many years. But he was a member at Century. And uh, I always caddied for a guy named Sam Neal, who was a very oh. good player, but he never won the club championship. Went to the finals a couple of times didn't make it to the uh, back nine or the back eight of the East because Buddy Buddy Stewart spun him like a top. But um, they were playing in the uh, in the member guest, the big member guest championship flight. And um, uh, they were doing a practice round. And on the first hole, he was in the left rough. Gelb was and Neil came over and they were playing for a little bit of money, which uh, Neil needed to make. And uh he said, he went over and said, uh, it's about one, 180. You got 180 in. You know, that's the one over the bunker you talked about. Yeah. And uh, and he went away and, and he looked at me and I said, no, you got about 205. And <laughs> he, he never forgot me for that. He never forgot that I did that because I have my steady guy on my right shoulder and I got you on my left shoulder. I got to take care of my guy, but I'm taking care of both because these are two loops I have, not one. So many years later, he, he wanted to hire me when I was getting out of the service. And he uh, every time he saw me when I was parking cars, he went out of his way to make sure he took care of me and whatever. So Paul and I are playing at Cyprus. Uh, this is 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, we went in the clubhouse before we went out. And I saw R. Gelb uh, on one of the lockers. He was sharing it with someone. Those are not the most luxurious lockers. Uh, about the same as Wingfoots, except Wingfoots are bigger. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I got out on the course and I said, is Dick Gelb a member here? They said, oh, yeah. 
he said, he's here all the time. I said, no, this guy lives in Connecticut. Said, no, 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 he's here now. He lives here. And I said, oh, I said, geez. So we went around. I, when we were getting through, I said, I want to leave a note for him in his locker. And as we're putting the clubs in the car, there he is on the first tee. So I run over and say hello to him. And he says, Johnny, Johnny. And he turns to the guy and he says, I got to tell you a story about this guy. And he starts telling him about that shot on the one West where I gave him the right club instead of letting him put it in the front bunker. Unbelievable. Yeah. Where's that great? Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle used to play a lot at Wingfoot. You guys had to, he must have run you over trying to get to see Donnie and Scanlon and his brother to play a match, right? <laughs> I never, I never uh, caddied for Mantle there. I know we played a couple of times there when I was there, but maybe later with Paul. I don't know, but uh, I never yep. caddied for him. But he was my, my uh, confirmation name is Michael because of Mickey Mantle. They wouldn't let me take Mickey, so I took Michael. Yeah. <laughs> he was my man. He was everybody's man. In New York. A little bit about, we talked a little bit, uh, John alluded to a job that he got coming out of Wingfoot. And, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself a question of how many careers were spawned by the CEOs and executives from Wingfoot to the caddies that worked there. In both of our cases, I think, uh, true to say, our first two jobs were from members at Wingfoot. Uh, my first one, was at Shields and Company, Corny Shields oh. uh, sent me an interview on Wall Street with his firm. And uh, that was where I went first. And my second uh, was with uh, your dad's company, SBC. And um, I remember I interviewed with them before I took the job on Wall Street, but because of guys like Frank Primmons and all those stockbrokers who were making tons of money, I said, I really want to give a hand to this stock market stuff. And as you know, stock market uh, or uh, stockbrokers aren't paid a salary, they're just paid a commission. You right. know, so you had to pay, you know, make your keep, if you would. And after about two years, SBC had stayed after me and John was working there at the time. And um, I ended up going there. And so my first two jobs were uh, from uh, members of Wingfoot. And I know John, same is true for you. Yeah, Crimmins and then uh, your father, Jack Williams. Uh, I was on leave with about six months to go in the Air Force. And um, I got him and I had, I had never, I don't know when he joined, but it, this was 1972, summer a of few years, Just a few years before that, John. Yes. Like late 60s. And so uh, we go around 18 holes and he knew I was in the service. He knew a little bit. And, you know, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm here interviewing, trying to find a job for when I get out. I've got three kids and another one on the way and, you know, up and, uh park cars at night sometimes while I was working at SBC. And finally he went to a guy named Charlie Fisher, who was uh, his Eastern regional guy and said, I don't know what the heck are you paying this guy, John Hoppin? Why is he working Sunday nights parking cars <laughs> when he's working for me? You know, why, why aren't we paying him enough? <laughs> we can stay. Cause that was their club. You know, the Wesley family from Marinick, uh, yeah, Gus Kenny and, Wesley. And, 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 oh, Wesley. Yeah. Kenny and Al, and, and, and they worked Al. at IBM, a lot of them, yep. and, but they were there on the weekends. It was their club. And that's what I try to tell people is there's so many 40 and 50 year employees at Wingfoot because they're treated right. It's their club as much as ours. There's two of you. You remember a Wingfoot that you're never going to forget. What is it, you, you know, from your two experiences? Well, First of all, for me, um, Gene Hayden. Uh, Gene was a taskmaster. He never let you get a big head. You know, Paul wrote in this thing that I got caddy of the year all these years and whatever. Maybe I did. I, I guess I did a few times. Maybe 
five or six times, but he never let me act like I was the I was the guy. As soon as I he thought I might be getting that way, he'd give me some lady who couldn't hit it thirty yards and let me walk around with her for a day, and Bring I'd get be back, back down to earth. But uh, he was a taskmaster, but um, taught me an awful lot about what it's like to work to be the best. You know, show up on a rainy day when and say I'm trying to help Gene out. And yeah. um, and so you being stay around with those, those caddies, yeah. Being around those caddies, the uh, you know the kids, a lot of great kids, all went on to good schools, and a lot of them have joined Wingfoot, and some of them have mm -hmm. been club presidents at Wingfoot yeah. who used to caddy with us. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today, Billy Horn. Really appreciate your Double feedback, indemnity. and please Marky. subscribe to Two the show. Outer. And hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified. Movie classics. New episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes.